Mark chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse uh, 21. And if you're able to stand, please stand with us today for the reading of the scripture. We read a, a portion of what we're going to read today last Sunday morning when we talked about the healing of this woman who had had this medical condition for 12 long years, and, and Jesus uh, healed her, Jesus uh, delivered her. Uh, but we're going to talk about the place he was going when he met her, uh, which is uh, to see Jairus' daughter. So in Mark chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, Jesus had made a trip from west to east across the Sea of Galilee, and there he delivered this demonized man who had legions of devils. And Jesus set this man free, gets back on the ship, and heads back across the Sea of Galilee. And as he arrived, verse 21 says, Much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea, right on the coast there of the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. This man, Jairus, had heard about the Lord. He saw the Lord. He fell before the Lord. He begged him to come and help with complete confidence that the Lord would lay his hands on her that she'd be healed and she shall live. Verse 24 says, And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. And then we have this interruption, if you'd call it that, in verse 25, where this woman who had this issue of blood 12 years came and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment and she was healed. Verse 34 says, And he said unto her, Jesus said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and behold of thy plague. Now notice verse 35, if you would. While he yet spake, while Jesus was saying the words to this woman who had just been healed, Go in peace. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As Jesus heard the word that was spoken, heard this message that came from the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus' home, that the daughter was now deceased. When Jesus, as soon as he heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Now we're going to look at this uh, intervention that Jesus had in the life of this family and, and the help that he gave this girl. And we're going to talk about this matter of faith today. And Jesus really spoke about faith in those words that he gave uh, Jairus here in verse 36. Be not afraid, only believe. And that's, a, that's the phrase that we really want to spend most of our time thinking about today. Be not afraid, only believe. Let's pray as we begin. Father, please bless today as we study the Bible together. We thank you for the book that's before us. We thank you that it is your word. Lord, that it has power to illuminate, to convict, to encourage, to edify, to strengthen. 
And today we want to receive with meekness the engrafted word. We pray that you'd bless our time. Help us today not to be distracted. Help us, Lord, to come with open minds and hearts. And as it's been already prayed, there are those here who are not saved. I pray that today they could see their need for the Savior and see that the provision has already been made for eternal salvation. For those of us maybe who know you, but we've struggled from time to time in our faith life, I pray that you'd encourage us today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You know, this phrase that Jesus stated to Jairus in verse 36 is powerful, really. Be not afraid, only believe. But as I was thinking about the message and thinking about that admonition, I was thinking, you know, we've, we've probably said ourselves or we've heard someone say similar words before, like they're going through a trial or trouble or difficulty and, you know, don't be afraid, just, just believe. Or don't worry, don't worry, just trust God. Just put it in the Lord's hands. We've all said these things. We've all heard these things. Just trust God. But sometimes that rings kind of shallow, really, kind of hollow. But in essence, that's what Jesus was saying to him. Don't be afraid, just believe. But sometimes that's easier said than done. Just trust God. So Jesus is encouraging this man, Jairus, not to be afraid, but just to keep trusting him. Now, he'd already been trusting him. He was trusting Jesus when he came to Jesus. He was trusting Jesus when he asked Jesus to come and help his daughter. But Jesus said, just keep trusting him. Now, maybe you've never been there, but I've been there. I've been in this very place where I knew I should be trusting the Lord for something. But instead, I was worrying or I was fearful. Maybe you've never been there. But but Jairus, I believe, was there. And I know that I've been there. To me, Jairus is a classic example of the difficulties we sometimes face in the faith life, in trusting the Lord. And we're going to talk about what I'm going to call places in this journey of faith. The faith has a beginning, faith has an ending, and faith has sometimes a time of testing in between. So let's begin with how this matter of faith had a beginning. It has a beginning place. Last week we talked about how the journey of faith with both this man and his daughter and the woman with this chronic disease, both of these people began their journey of faith because of a crisis. And often the faith life begins in a crisis. Maybe it's some need. Maybe it's some difficulty. Maybe it's some uncertainty. But it provides an atmosphere and creates an opportunity for a person to start thinking outside the realm of their own ability And to see that there is someone other than ourselves who can help us. The faith has a beginning. Jairus' faith became essential through his daughter's illness. None of us would ever want anyone to be faced with a situation like this. None of us would ever want anyone to have a near hopeless situation. And yet in Jairus' life, it was that near hopeless. It was a hopeless situation in his eyes that brought him to Jesus. So he comes to Jesus as a desperate man. And he pled with Jesus. Verse 23 tells us that he was beseeching him. Come to my house. Lay your hands on my daughter. She'll be healed. She'll live. Now, that in itself is a big step. 
He's a ruler of the synagogue. People in the synagogue weren't always friendly toward Jesus. He came publicly to Jesus in a great crowd and said, if you'd just come. But in my mind, I'm thinking that he had no guarantee Jesus was going to come. He wanted him to come. He needed him to come. But would he? There are a lot of people that day. There's, there's perhaps hundreds, maybe even thousands of people, as there sometimes were around Jesus. Why would he come to Jairus' house? Why would he be willing to go where Jesus, or where Jairus needed him? Would Jesus do that? Why, why would he do that? And look what it says in verse 24. These are, there's some powerful phrases in this passage, but in Mark chapter 5 and verse 24, it says, and Jesus went with him. That says a lot. And Jesus went with him. What a moment. What a moment in the life of a father whose only daughter, the Bible says, in another place, is on her deathbed. What a moment when Jesus said, okay, I'll come with you. And so Jesus agreed to go. And built into that agreement to go surely is a promise that when he gets there, things are going to be okay. In my mind, I can imagine Jairus just having a great sigh of relief, you know, that it isn't hopeless after all. And this hope that's swelling in his heart, this troubled dad, that Jesus is actually going to make a house call. He's going to come and visit his daughter. Why? All because Jairus, in a desperate situation, took the initiative to go to Jesus and ask for help. Faith has a beginning Faith has a beginning. You can personalize this in our own life, in the matter of salvation. You know, sometimes you'll ask people, you know, if you're a Christian, well, I've always been a Christian. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we're all sinners, that all of us are lost, that all of us are hopelessly lost without Jesus Christ. We, don't, we haven't always been people of faith. Now, we may have grown up believing in God. As Brother Lot shared his personal testimony this morning, the 10 o'clock hour, how he had made professions of faith as a child, but he wasn't saved until he was 18 years old. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to have a relationship with God, to be born again. Bible salvation is about faith. It's about trust, not trust in ourselves, not trust in our works, not trust in our goodness, not trusting in the fact that we're better than others, but trust in Jesus alone. Please hear me. Today, the only way a person can be saved, the only way a person can be born again is through faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in their faith, but faith in Jesus Christ. And so many religions and so many religious movements are wrong on this most critical point. It's not faith in Jesus plus baptism. It's not faith in Jesus plus good works. It's not faith in Jesus plus personal reformation. It's faith in Jesus alone. The only way to be born again, the only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus alone. When a person sees the truth about themselves according to the Bible, when they see that all of us are hopelessly lost as sinners, that all of us have broken God's law, and it's absolutely, completely impossible for any of us to ever go to heaven without Something from the outside changing us because we can't become what God commands us to be. God is holy as heaven is holy and the only people who are going to go there are people who are made holy but we can't do it in and of ourselves. There's only one way and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. 
By the way, when a person realizes that through faith in Christ alone he can be saved, what a, what a wonderful thing this beginning faith is. I can remember it in my own life. What it was like to realize how lost I was, how hopeless I was. But what it was like to see that through faith in Christ, I could be saved. And I want to say to you today, that's the only way to be saved. There's not, there are not many ways to heaven. There's only one way to heaven. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Has Jesus Christ changed your life? And if not today... The good news is everything that must be done for you to go to heaven forever has already been done. Jesus paid the price completely. When he hung on that cross and said it is finished, he means it is finished. And the only thing standing between you and eternal life is you must come in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and be saved by the grace of God. It has a beginning place. And by the way, every part of our Christian journey is to be a life of faith. Once you get saved, then you get involved in discipleship and growing and learning the Bible and, and, and spending time in the Scripture. We do that by faith. Our devotional life, spending time daily in the Word of God and witnessing to other people and talking to other people. It doesn't come natural for anybody, but we do it by faith. We learn to give by faith. I can so uh, easily remember as is my wife and I were attending the church that we were saved in and the pastor would stand before us and teach us principles about reading the Bible and giving and giving out your faith and sharing with others and how by faith as new Christians we would start obeying because the Bible says so. It's all a matter of faith. It's so in our service. If we're going to serve God, it's a matter of faith. Learning to trust God. Learning to trust God with our needs. Faith has a beginning place. But if you look at the end of this chapter, in Mark chapter 5, and we'll skip down to the end, faith brings fruit and results. It certainly did in the life of Jairus' daughter. Look in verse 40 of of Mark chapter 5. It says, And they laughed him to scorn. When Jesus came to visit their home, to have access to this dead Young lady, they laughed him to scorn because he said, why are you making such a big deal? Basically, she's she's not dead, she's sleeping. But And they made fun of him. But when he, Jesus in verse 40, but when he had put them all out, he sent them out of the room. He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. Jesus had three people with him. Peter, James, and John took the mom and the dad of the little girl, went in this room where she was, where she was, her lifeless body was laying. And verse 41 says, And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Talitha is a young lady. Kumai means to arise. Without any spectacle, without any, you know, fanfare, Jesus basically took this lifeless girl by the hand and said, arise. And she rose up. Could you imagine what that would have been like? Put yourself in that room. You've got a little girl, 12 years old, lying lifeless. Peter, James, and John are there observing 
the mom and dad, hopeful, but brokenhearted. And all Jesus did was simply told her to arise. And look at verse 42, it says, And straightway, immediately, the damsel arose and walked. For she was the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. I mean, what about that? Astonished with a great astonishment. I love the words of the Bible, and often I'll look up words to just get expanded definitions of those words that are so accurately translated in our King James Bible. The word astonishment means that they were out of their minds. They were out of their minds with amazement, ecstatic, both combined with fear and wonder. And Jesus told them in verse uh, 43, he charged them straightly that no man should know it. In other words, let's keep this to ourselves, which was not impossible to do. But Jesus often did this. He sort of minimized the public attention. Matter of fact, it's interesting that when Jesus first responded to Jairus' plea, he began to leave and go toward Jairus' home. And the Bible says there was a great crowd of people with him. But this second time that he agreed to go after this woman was healed, he only took three people with him. A very private time with this family. And he says, and he charged them that they would tell no man, that no man would know it. In verse 43, finishes by saying, and he commanded that they uh, give her something that she could eat. So he took care of her physical needs. He didn't want to make a big fanfare out of it. And so the, the end result is this father's faith was rewarded. God blessed their faith. You know, the, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter about faith that so many of us love, uh, that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God does reward the faith life. We live not by sight, but we live by faith. And what an ending for this man's faith, to see his little girl alive, to see their family happy again. What a rewarding ending it is in our life when we see our prayers answered, things that we've prayed for, things maybe that we've prayed for for a long time, and to finally see the answers come. Faith will always be rewarded. Faith will always have a good ending. It may not always look like it's happening, but it's going to happen. And we don't really know the end, but think about the ending of our life. Think about, personalize this yourself. If you're a person of faith, you're not just saying, I believe in Jesus, but I want to live for Him. I want to serve Him. What an ending it'll be for those of us who've chosen to live our lives by faith. What an ending it'll be one of these days when we're escorted into our eternal home. I've been reading in John's Gospel about how Jesus encouraged His disciples with that reality that one of these days you're going to be with me. And for some people who don't know the Lord and they're not really all in for serving God, that may not mean a lot to them. But for people who've lived their life by faith to trust God, it means everything to them because we don't live for this world. We live for the next world. What, a, what an ending it'll be when we lay eyes on the one who suffered and died for us. And we will see him face to face. What an ending when one day we will lay aside this sinful flesh. And we'll be giving the new bodies that Jesus has promised us. What an ending it'll be to meet loved ones and friends who've gone before us. When we stand one day at the judgment seat of Christ. And he is glorified because of what we've done in our life to serve Him. What a rewarding ending it's going to be when one of these days 
we will serve with Him in the millennial kingdom and the King of kings will be the master and we'll be His servants. I'm just telling you, faith has a beginning and faith has a wonderful ending. But then there's a third aspect of faith that I want us to spend the remaining time we have today and that's what was going on in Jairus' world before, after Jesus said, I'll go, and before his daughter was healed. We're back in Mark chapter 5, and verse 35 is where this reality really sinks in for Jairus. He says, while he yet spake, while Jesus was yet speaking to that woman, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. For Jairus, his faith had a good beginning and his faith had a glorious ending. But it wasn't always smooth sailing. Jesus agreed early in the chapter that he would go to his home. But now before he has time to get there, they come with news that his daughter is not just sick. She's dead. And those who came, in verse 35, said this to Jairus, Why troublest thou the master any further? There's no reason to trouble the master. I'm assuming, really, that in their minds it might have been possible for Jesus to heal her severe illness, but not raise her from the dead. It's too late. Things have gone too far. I personally would like to ask Jairus, what were you thinking in that moment? When you have Jesus who's agreed to come with you to help your failing daughter, and then you get word that she's dead. What did that feel like? Going from hope, from optimism, Jesus is coming to his house, to emptiness and hopelessness. And notice what it says in verse 36. And the language to me is so important. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto this man, the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. As soon as those negative words came out, Jesus turned to him and said, don't be afraid. You know, Jesus knew and Jesus knows the power of a negative report. And and it's an amazing thing. I've heard this uh, affirmed over the years numerous times by people. Sometimes it seems easier to believe a negative report than it does to believe a positive report. So here's a man who's optimistic. He's believing that Jesus is going to heal his daughter, and now he hears that it's hopeless again. Sometimes our our life can feel like that. We have reason to have hope, and then all of a sudden our hopes are dashed, and then we have hope restored, and then we get discouraged again, and then we, we think things are getting better, and we wonder, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes in life. I say again, faith, faith for Jairus had a powerful beginning, a positive beginning, and it had a wonderful ending, but Kind of a rocky time, maybe, in between. Maybe you felt that way sometimes. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. Be not afraid. Only believe. Don't be discouraged by this negative 
report. Don't believe what other people are saying. Believe me. I want to, I want to concentrate on this a little bit this morning because I, it's not unusual that our faith will be tested. Just because it's tested doesn't mean it's not genuine. By the way, I think it's in the testing that the genuineness of our faith is made real. That it is confirmed. That it's not an empty, idle hope, but it's a genuine hope based upon the Word of God and the faithfulness of God. What, what had to be going on in the mind of this Jairus, this heart of this man who is trusting the Lord? Number one, he's been dealing with an unwelcome delay. Now, the Bible didn't tell us what was going on in his mind when this woman made her way through the crowd from behind Jesus and touched the, his garment and she was healed. But in my imagination, this interruption, as far as Jared's concerned, could not have happened at a more inopportune time. His, his daughter's on life support, so to speak. His daughter is hanging on to life. And Jesus is interrupted by this woman with this problem. It reminds me, though, that our timing is not always the same as God's timing. A lot of times I felt like God was late. A lot of times I've known some of you were late. <laughs> but, but God is never late, right? God is always on time. We may fret, we may worry, we may get disturbed. I don't know. I don't know what was going on in that crowd. I think I know how some of us might have responded if we were Jairus, you know, try to pull Jesus away from that woman and say, wait, you forgot about me. We're trying to get home to take care of our daughter. So all this is going on, but it's a matter of timing. So another thing is, he's heard this disheartening report in verse 35 that she's dead. When Jesus had agreed to go with him, he was very positive. But now he's hearing things that are not the same. Two reports. One was positive, one was negative. One was what Jesus said he would do, and one was what they're saying the condition was now. One was, if you could, one was truth. And the other was fake news. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't to be believed. But the reality is, in our lives personally, sometimes when we're trusting God for something, we tend to believe the negative more than the positive. Now this is not just a matter of the power of positive thinking. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trusting. It's a matter of believing in God. And very often when we're trying to believe God for something, the circumstances or the noise that we hear or the message that we hear is contradictory to what we're really trusting God to do. It happens in our minds. It happens in our emotions. It happens in our circumstances. We want to see a certain thing happen, but it's just not lining up the way we're trusting God for. And what we feel and what our emotions tell us can sometimes contradict what we're believing God for. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was going to his house, but he was still hearing the noise of death. Look in verse 38, it says, And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. 
Now, for one thing, this tells us that this baby, this young girl, this child had not just died immediately. There's already an assembly of people. And it tells us in verse 38 that they were not just, they were not just um, crying or weeping. They were wailing greatly. Imagine this man. He's trying to sort things out in his mind. He's trying to believe God. Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe me. And yet the closer he got to his house, the louder the noise was. Great wailing. It's interesting, in Matthew's gospel, where Matthew records this same incident, he used the word minstrels, to, which are playing instruments. Minstrels. And basically, they're people who were pipers. They were playing music. And according to what I've studied in the Jewish tradition, every family, even a poor family, was provided a professional mourner, at least two professional mourners for every family. And they came to help your family mourn. And the music was not to soothe or to comfort the grief. It was sort of to accentuate it. And so you got these people wailing and crying and, and this music is playing and this girl has been dead, not just dead, but dead for a time. I'm, I'm saying all that to say Satan has a way of creating doubt and fear in our life when really what we need to be doing is trusting God. Sometimes I've actually said to God, God, I'm ashamed that I'm not trusting you more because God has never let me down. God has never failed us. God has always been there. Maybe not the way we wanted, maybe not the time that we wanted, but God can be trusted. In verse 39 it says, And when he was come in, when Jesus was come in, he saith unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Now he didn't say that because she wasn't physically dead, but he just said it because she wasn't there for long. And notice what they did in verse 40. And they laughed him to scorn. Again, I'm thinking about what's going on in Jairus' mind. I have this tendency when I'm reading Scripture to kind of try to put myself in the place of the person. You've already heard this negative report that she's dead. You can't even get into the house without hearing the wailing and the screaming and the crying. And then when Jesus declares that she's not dead, they begin to mock and jeer at His words. All these, all these sounds of unbelief just added to the tension. I say again... Sometimes our faith will be tested. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean that God hasn't heard us. It doesn't mean that God is not able. It doesn't mean that God, it's too late. And when it's tested, what are we going to believe? Are we going to believe what we believe the Lord has said to us? Or are we going to believe what others say? Are we going to believe what we feel? One of the greatest enemies of faith is how you feel. It's your emotions. God made us emotional creatures, but we're not to live by our emotions. We're to live by faith in God. God's Word is always true. And it's in this time of testing that faith is really confirmed. In this scenario, the positive outcome that Jairus was hoping for 
seemed uncertain. It seemed too late. She's already dead. It seemed like a foolish dream to those who were scoffing, who were mourning. But let me just assure you with this today. The outcome was never uncertain to Jesus. He knew exactly how it was going to turn out. He knew exactly what he's going to do. Sometimes if I could imagine God looking down on our life, we're asking him for something, we're trusting him for something, we're believing for something, and he knows exactly how it's going to turn out. And we have a tendency to worry and fret or, or maybe even create our own, our own solution. But Jesus knew everything in his universe, everything was under control. And faith eventually triumphed. Now here's a, here's a lesson for all of us. I read the words again in verse 36 where Jesus said, Be not afraid, only believe. Here's the lesson. Keep believing. And I'm not just talking about believing for salvation. I'm talking about believing God for whatever it is you need to believe God for. Just keep believing. I think it would be safe to say that in this room today, there are probably people who have given up on something you once were trusting God for in your life. Maybe your marriage. Maybe your ministry. Maybe something that you want to see God do in a loved one or a friend. Maybe something you just wanted to put behind you and you've tried to distance yourself and you've asked and asked until finally you've just given up on it ever becoming a reality. And to me, what Jesus is saying is keep believing. No matter what you're feeling, keep believing. No matter what you're hearing, keep believing. Don't listen to the negative reports. That try to discourage. Faith can honestly be our greatest friend. And unbelief our worst enemy. And they work against each other. If it seems like it's too late, keep believing. If it seems like it's hopeless, keep believing. If voices from within and without are contradictory, keep believing. You know, when you read the Bible, there's so many examples of this. I'm thinking about Sambalat and Tobiah who when Nehemiah was doing a great work to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and these enemies came and their words were negative and critical and demeaning and contradictory. And by the grace of God, Nehemiah just kept believing and kept building. And those voices don't have to come from without, like verbal. They can come within our minds. One of our greatest enemies sometimes is the way we think. Well, it'll never, it'll never be the same as it used to be. And I would say, maybe it could be better. We, we have to realize that, that God wants us to trust Him by faith. Sometimes it may feel like God is far away from you. I'm not going to ask people to raise their hand. But most of us who've been saved any length of time in our life, especially those of us who've been saved for 20, 30, 40 years, would say there have been times in my life that it just seems like I was going through a period of darkness. Like God wasn't really as close as He was at once. Like I wasn't really hearing Him. I wasn't getting direction from God. When it seems like God is far away, when it seems like your prayers aren't being heard, just keep believing. Like Abraham, we get tempted to, to create our own answer our own supply giving up on God's promises 
It may seem like time has run out, but don't give up on God. You know, there was 25 years. Think about this. But between the time that Abraham got a promise for Isaac, there were 25 years that took, transpired before that answer came. Is that right or wrong? And we give up in a week or two or a month or two or a year or two. For 25 years. You know, it's not a quote from the Bible. But the principle is clearly taught in the Bible. Never doubt in the darkness what you believed in the light. And the reality is sometimes people like Jairus, they'll believe something that God is going to do. They really believe it. And they believe it for good reason. But then, through the course of time and difficulties and opposition and whatever, they begin to doubt it. They begin to give up. Never doubt in the darkness what God showed you in the light. There is hope. Now, this is not my impersonation of Joel Osteen. (laughs) But I'm telling you, we have every reason to trust God and believe God. The, The promises of God are real and they're true. No matter what I think, no matter what you think, no matter what we feel, no matter what others say, the promises of God are true. And they can be trusted. And today we ought to keep trusting God.